foraging for mushrooms ASMR, uh, crackling log fire where I roast the fish that I caught ASMR. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking that could be, if not already a genre, perhaps Fiona could make a new career. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Welcome to another episode of Keybit Fictional from the Point Moody Public Library. I am here with my book friends, Corinne, Fiona, and Gabriel. In this week's and next week's episode, our goal is to add more books to your leaning pile of to be read books, your TBR, because we are going to be bringing you not four, but 20. We're going to tell you about 20 books that we are looking forward to reading in the next four months. These are books that are going to come out in uh, from May to August. So we're really, really excited. There's always so many books, so little time. So I think we should just get right to it. Corinne, we're going to start with you. Please tell us about the first book that you are looking forward to reading. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, I just had to quickly look at the list of books that people are going to talk about because there is the slightest, smallest chance that this book might have overlap with my fellow readers. And weirdly enough, my fellow reader, Virginia, in that I might be kind of talking about a spooky book. Okay. It's technically like supernatural, like romantic suspense, but like it could happen. It could happen. Um, this book has been described as Mexican Gothic meets Rebecca, which is very much both in my wheelhouse. And of course, Mexican Gothic was one of my my favorite books. And uh, Sylvia Moreno Garcia is also coming out with a new book this season, Daughter of Dr. Moreau, which I'm sure is amazing. But since her book is going to get a lot of buzz, I, I chose to do one that is maybe in the same vein as a reimagining as a gothic suspense novel, which is a genre that is near and dear to my heart. So this is a book set in the aftermath of the Mexican War of Independence. It is about a young woman named Beatrice. It is 1820 and her father has been killed. Her house has been destroyed and she has nothing left. In a fit of total desperation for a woman alone without any protection in this time of strife, she does what any young woman has to do in that she accepts a proposal from a slightly dubious gentleman. So Rodolfo Soloranzo proposes to her and Beatrice accepts and she is whisked away to his beautiful estate where something is not quite right. As soon as she arrives, the Haciendo San Isidoro is, Isidro is not the sanctuary that she thought it would be. Strange things start happening. She starts to get visions and starts to hear voices in the hallway. Strange symbols adorn the doorways. And Rudolfo's sister seems to think that it's all in her head. She only knows two things. Something is wrong in this house and that she will have to stand against it. 
It sounds like an amazing, classic, classic gothic horror suspense with a fascinating setting, and I can't wait to get my hands on it. This book is The Hacienda by Isabel Cañas. And it looks fancy and I can't wait to read it. And she's got a flowing gown on the dress and she's in front of a house. So, you know, I'm going to like it. So that is my first pick. Sorry to interrupt and like so immediately with like a gripe. The book looks great. I'm also excited for that one. But I have to admit the saying that it is like Rebecca and... Uh, Mexican Gothic is just such a silly thing to say. Obviously, it's like Rebecca if it's like Mexican Gothic. That's the point. It's in that vein. I just I just got really angry when I read that. So so I'm I'm glad that I have a chance to say this on air. That's fair. You're essentially saying that the, it's not a Venn diagram. It's just a perfect circle. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not very creative marketing team. I can accept that. But it got it got Korean's attention. So it works clearly. <laughs> doesn't have to be like original sometimes I feel like right because <laughs> I definitely thought of you when I saw that book Karina I was like oh yeah that's just the one this is definitely the one but yes um also very looking forward to the daughter of Dr. Monroe that would that should be good too all right well thank you Miss Kareen Fiona what kind of book that has a good marketing blurb that draw your <laughs> attention then if not that other one Okay, maybe I'm like the, the pot calling the kettle black because I'm realizing this is a book that is very much in my comfort zone, my joy zone, my I know exactly what I'm going to get with this marketing zone. This is a high school sports book, Home Field Advantage by Dahlia Adler. It is about a quarterback and a cheerleader, which I love to read about as long as they're queer. So this is about Amber, a cheerleader who loves the cheer aspect, the sport part of being a cheerleader, but is not so into the whole be happy all the time. And she is completely devastated when their team quarterback uh, is killed in a car accident. However, the follow-up just makes things worse as the quarterback is replaced by Jack Walsh, who it turns out is actually Jacqueline Walsh. <gasps> A girl quarterback? I love this kind of play on um, high school rom-coms um, that queers them and that also sometimes like often has a sort of a greater point to them, sometimes a they're really looking at what's wrong with rom-coms and and having a different view on them. So I guess the, the team is in an uproar about a female quarterback and the cheerleaders are angry about the breaking of tradition. But of course, we know because of the great marketing that this is going to be a love story. So like I say, it's that sort of that guilty pleasure for me, but that also feels like in the end, it wraps around to really having a point. So this is Home Field Advantage by Dahlia Adler, a YA sports female love story. Thank you, Fiona. That is that is definitely in your perfect comfort zone. All right, Gabriel, I think if it is the first book that you have on your list that you listed in the thing. I am super excited about it. I don't know if that's the one, but let's find out. 
I think I put them down on the list in a different order than I'm going to talk about them, but I'll get to it eventually. It's all the same books. So we're getting there. We're getting there. In terms of things that are maybe a classic Gabriel thing to like, this one, it's a YA novel. I am a YA person. And it's also got a little bit of the Southern Gothic. It's got a little bit of that going on. And so pretty excited. The first book that I'm really looking forward to is called The Witchery. And it's by Sophie Isabel. So this is, like I said, a young adult supernatural novel following the lives of the girls in Mesmortis Coven Academy in Halesford, Florida. Logan is a budding witch who's just learning to come into her own as she's scooped up by some of the most extraordinary witches at the academy. Things at the school are quickly becoming more dangerous from the looks of the description I saw. Humans and witches will have to work together to hold back the wolves that have been emerging from the Floridian swampland. The already precarious relationship between humans and witches is being tested as two boys from Hammersmith School get ready to make a sacrifice to the witches. And it seems like there's a a pretty varied cast of young gals with Logan, the main character, who has powers that are like almost out of control, and the Red Three. So her friends are Iris, who is a curse-breaking death witch, we have the religion-haunted green witch, Thalia, and the power-hungry, Jalia. Three of the girls are Black, although the Witch Academy is very generic and not necessarily tied to any particular culture or group of folks. That's one thing I saw people talking about online was that while it does look to be shaping up to be really fun, it seemed to be very, like the Academy itself is very neutral. I think if anything, they were probably going more for, I don't, I, I don't want to say Hogwarts in, in America because I don't think it's Hogwarts in America, but I think they were going for more of a American private school, but there's witches. <laughs> it's not necessarily one that you would go into for that. It's one you're going to go into more for the characters and for uh, like the vibe that's going into it. And the big seller for me was that it's described as being perfect for fans of Lee Bardugo. Zoraida Cordova, and Maggie Steve Vodder. And I'm like, well, two out of three, I've already read and loved. And then the third one is on my uh, to be read. So we already know I'm a big Six of Crows fan. Love the Raven cycle. So immediately I was like, oh, okay. I know, I know what this is. I know what this is and I'm here for it. And two of the quotes on her website are actually from Justina Ireland, who wrote Dread Nation, which I also read and enjoyed and talked about it on the previous episode of the podcast, and Aiden Thomas, who wrote Cemetery Boys, which I haven't read yet, but is also absolutely up my alley. It seems like this book is going to have a lot of different perspectives and kind of alternate between them. I think the only criticism that I've seen for advanced reader copies, just to give people an idea, is just that the book doesn't quite spend enough time with individual characters that some people would like. And it would benefit from a sequel, which isn't always a bad thing in a book, (laughs) especially if you think it's going to be popular, which this definitely seems like it's going to be. It's coming out late July 2022. And I think it looks really fun. It's uh, Isabel's debut. And so I'm really looking forward to it. I I don't want to say without reading it yet, but if it has a sequel, I would want to read the sequel. So I'm not considering that to be too big of an issue because I think that it has a good chance of getting one. That was The Witchery by S. Isabel. Thank you, Gabriel. I love these episodes because I get to know everybody a little bit more from the kind of books that they choose. So thank you for that. My first book is 
Well, the book that I really, 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 really want to read this coming up is a book that I cannot talk about today because Gabriel is going to make us do a Dark Academia episode soon. And I'm going to save that for it. But if you don't have to be strategic in your reading, like we do here on our podcast, please check out Babel by R.F. Kuang. I love Ara Kwang so, so, so much. Their Poppy Wall series was amazing. I don't understand how someone so early in their writing career could write something so emotionally complex. Check that out. But I will talk about the second book that I most, 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 most wanted to read for this season. And um, it is a second novel by the author Simon Jimenez. And this is The Spear Cuts Through Water. Simon Jimenez is a Filipino-American author, and they wrote the science fiction, The Vanished Birds. And that book was important in sort of my reading journey because it was sort of the first book that shows me, you know what, maybe there are other science fiction other than space opera, because I'm all about space opera. But then when I read The Vanished Birds, I'm like, okay, maybe there are other ones that are equally good that may be a little more contemplative, a little quieter. Maybe I should quote this, emotionally evocative. It sort of opened up my world a little bit. So I'm really, really excited. He is going to do an epic fantasy, which is my other, other favorite subgenre. So I am super, super excited about this. And there's nothing about this book yet online other than just the description from the publisher. It's coming out in the end of August, but there's nothing about it other than the description. So from what I know, it is about an empire called the Moon Throne. This empire is ruled by a tyrant and his three sons called the Free Terrors. And for centuries and centuries, people live under their oppression. And they get their power from a goddess that they have imprisoned underground. And this goddess is actually the mother of the free terrors. But now she has escaped with the help of two shepherds turned warriors, June and Kima. And they are now on a quest to find the thing that can end the moon throne with, of course, the three terrorists in pursuit. And this whole story is supposed to take place in five days. So it's a very shortened kind of like timeline. So I'm assuming that it's going to be very fast paced. And it is supposed to be an adventure narrative, according to the author, with a bit of romance. And just for you, Simon Jimenez, I will read your little bit of romance just because you are amazing. But it deals with how history, how culture is shaped by people in power and how like they are the ones who t- get to tell the story. It's supposed to be a sweeping adventure story with an intimate exploration of identity, legacy, and belonging. So I can't wait to read this because I love his writing so, so, so much. So this is Simon Jimenez, A Spear Cuts Through Water. All right. So let's head off to round two. Corinne, are you ready? I am so ready. And again, I have chosen something that is very much in my wheelhouse again, in that I have found a historical heist novel. I feel like every round of my favorite picks of the different season, I have to find a heist novel. And this one looks to be looks to be just perfect, just perfect. It is about a woman named Clara Johnson and she talks to spirit. So all of her life, she has been able to communicate with ghosts or different entities. And sometimes that comes in really handy. So it is 1925 and Clara lives in Washington, DC. And in a very dark moment where she finds herself in a jail cell, she makes a deal. She 
makes a bit of an arrangement with a spirit that in uh, in exchange for her freedom, for getting out of jail, she will owe that spirit a debt. And in total desperation, Clara decides to take this bargain, knowing that it will come back and bite her. And of course it does. As soon as she starts getting comfortable, as soon as she starts relaxing back into her normal life, the spirit appears to her and says that it's time to pay them back. And the way that they are going to do that is that Clara needs to steal a magical ring from the wealthiest woman in the district. Ugh, what's a medium to do? You can't go and steal things on your own. No, if you're going to pull off a daring heist, you're going to need a ragtag crew. And of course she does. She finds a jazz musician who can hypnotize people. She finds a aging vaudeville actor who can actually change their face to look like different people. And together they are going to find this jewel free Clara from her entanglement, and of course, save Black Broadway as a mystery unfolds as the spirit world starts bleeding into the real world. This is a brand new book by Leslie Penelope, who also writes under L. Penelope. And this is a book with a beautiful cover that I'm very much looking forward to. It is Monsters We Defy. Such a perfect, perfect perfect book for Karina. Now that's a Venn diagram. That is a Venn diagram. Yes. Well, or more like a perfect circle. That's a perfect circle again, because it's just everything, all your interests overlap. Yeah. And, and her other book is really good. I really like her other series. So definitely check that out. All right. Fiona, tell us about your next book. All right. My next book is a historical fiction that may have been written just for me. I am very excited. This is a the new book by Emma Donahue. She most recently wrote The Pull of the Stars, which I absolutely loved. So it came on my radar specifically for that reason. Oh, a new De- Emma Donahue book. Well, it is set in the seventh century in Ireland. Um, Donahue is a Irish Canadian writer, and it is about priests and monks. <laughs> And if you don't know, I do love to read about people of the cloth. I think that if it were about nuns, then I would like feel like maybe Emma Donahue was listening in on me, but I will take monks. So it is about three monks or Art, who is actually a priest, and then Tryon and Cormac, who are the monks. And they are in a boat because they are going to a little tiny island where they are going to set up a monastery. Ooh. So I also really love survival books, as long as they're quiet survival books. Like, I don't want action. I want like, and then we planted a garden and found out that these mushrooms were edible. Um, (laughs) So uh, I think it is definitely, definitely going to serve that up for me. And Three Men on an Island, Emma Donahue has certainly written queer books in the past, and I will pay $10 to bet that perhaps some of these monks may fall in love. The reviews are calling it very slow, so that might not be... So I mean, like a slow, like a slow, quiet story. So that might not be your thing, uh, but it's totally my thing. I like the kind of like contemplative way that Emma Donahue writes. And they're also saying that it deals with religion in in definitely like a non-preachy way. So it's more of an observation of religious thought or like a, you know, some some criticism. Uh, It's not something that is going to be 
trying to convert you. So I know that still uh, religion is a, is a no-go place for some people, and I totally respect that. For me, it's definitely something that I like to see kind of observed and criticized and, and, and weighed. So a lot of things about this that I'm really, really looking forward to. It's a bit of a shorter book, which for me, also a nice thing. That is Haven by Emma Donahue. And if you haven't checked out her other books yet, and you just I can't wait for this one, I would highly also recommend uh, The Pull of the Stars. Yeah, and absolutely stop putting your holds on if you're looking forward to reading about foraging for mushrooms because Emma Donahue's books are always like very, very popular at our library. You have to get lots of copies, lots of holds. So put your holds on. Glad that you find a book that has all the things, again, all the things that you love. So that's great. Gabriel, what's your next book? Well, before I get to the next book, I just have to say that that put into my head the idea that there might be survivalist ASMR channels on YouTube. I don't think I want to see them, but I do want to know if they exist. Foraging for Mushrooms ASMR, uh, Crackling Log Fire, where I roast the fish that I caught, ASMR. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking that could be, if not already a genre, perhaps Fiona could make a new career because I feel like that would be a big moneymaker. I would watch the tiny ad and then see, see the man forage the mushroom and then show me the mushroom, I guess. Yeah, I think that could be. That could be an alternative career. In fact, I might try it. I don't have to enjoy the ASMR or the foraging to profit. So we'll see. Perhaps perhaps my next thing. So next book. I struggled to find a ton of information on this one, but I included it just based on the concept. Want to talk about it. So I think this might be the one that Virginia was thinking of. It is called The Hangman Feeds the Jackal, a gothic western by Coy Hall. Gothic? Western. Hello, I'm here. I'm ready. I've had a lot of phrases lobbied at me in the past to describe the aesthetics that I like, my fashion, including vacation dad and the alternative. And I would like to dress like an emo cowboy. I will go for the alternative. So this book is a collection of four different stories that combine uh, the idea of sort of a classic gothic lit- gothic horror and something that we tend to call the weird west as a genre. So westerns that, as you would expect, are just a little bit odd. Maybe there's aliens. Maybe there's ghosts. Whatever's there, it is weird. And I would say that weird west is a genre that strays pretty far from its historical roots. But quite frankly, all westerns are historically incorrect. They had super strict gun control laws. Saloons were places you brought your family for dinner. Westerns are modern American myth-making for better or worse. So all Westerns are just a little story with some rootin' tootin', rootin' tootin' shootin'. So I'm here, and I'm ready to make it even more weird. I'm ready to bring in some other genres. The most prominent story in The Hangman Feeds the Jackal features Elijah Valero, a gunfighter who is haunted by the image of the hangman. Valero is driven into a monastery to remove himself from society, abandoned. So I don't think he's actually meeting the monks, um, but but he's still there. He's still in the presence of the cracked, ruined church kind of idea. And he's there for his own safety as he weathers the visions that are plaguing him, but also the safety of others after he accidentally kills innocent people while being plagued by the hangman. In this abandoned monastery, he faces dangers at every turn as well as the possibility of redemption as he stands off against drifters that are targeting the town 
for its silver. Coy Hall, the author, is a history professor, but he studies mostly early modern Europe, not this particular period. His other novel, uh, Grimoire of the Four Impostors, takes place a little bit closer to the time period that he studies and is a series of dark historical short stories. And having been a history person, I also accidentally became an early modernist because all the professors were more fun. So if Coy Hall is anything like the professors that made me turn my back on the things that I actually found interesting and just study a completely random era of history, you know what? I think we could have, we could have something here, Mr. Hall. I think we could have something here. Professor Hall, sorry. And so I can appreciate someone who wants to combine the dark parts of history with some more dramatic storytelling. This would probably appeal to people who read other similar stories in the genre. So that could include The Gunslinger by Stephen King, The Half-Made World by Felix Gilman. Listen, the names keep getting better and better. Six Gun Tarot by R.S. Belcher. Make No Grave by Haley Stone. Or, you know, if you're me, fans of the Red Dead Redemption video game series. Shout out to one of the Western book titles that I saw while researching this called Trigonometry by Eugene Cunningham. So this book's coming out in June 2022. Barely know anything about it. It doesn't matter. I'm here. I'm I'm coming for you. I'm going. I'm going to read it. Agree. I don't need to know any more. That's it. That's it. Totally going to read it. Look at Corinne's face. She's just like, eh. Eh. It's not my aesthetic. Like Back to the Future 3, I think. I've never seen it, so I cannot comment. All right. So um, my next book, I think I might be able to sell Fiona on this one. We'll see. We'll see. So this is a retelling. I don't usually like retelling, let's just be honest. Especially fairy tale retellings. I just not into it. But but this is a retelling of a Greek myth, which you're like, yeah, been there, done that. There's so many of them out there. But this is slightly different, slightly, slightly different. This is Maya Dean's Ref Goddess Sing. And this is a retelling of the story of Achilles. You're probably familiar with Achilles, you know, supposedly the greatest Greek warrior of all time. And most of the story of Achilles comes from the Iliad, but uh, Maya Dean took the inspiration from another epic poem written about Achilles. And this is a story of how Achilles, because he was prophesied to die in a war, his mother Phoebus wants to protect him from it. So for a while, Achilles was living on the island of Skyros, disguised as a woman. And there he fell in love with the daughter of the king, and um, have a couple kids there, apparently. But in Maya Dean's version, there is a completely different reason why Achilles is hiding out on Skyros, not to avoid his fate, but in Maya Dean's version, Achilles is a trans woman, and she has fled her home because of the way she's being treated back at home. And throughout the book, we get the scene of Achilles in a well. She remembers drowning and she remembers being thrown there by her so-called mentor Chiron and how that keep haunting her throughout that her whole story. She went to Skyros because Skyros is supposed to be a place where there are other women like her and that can help her transition. And so she went there so that she can live with the transgender priestess of Aphrodite. And there she's known as Pyra because of her red hair and she and the daughter of the king are also lovers. There's this other prophecy that the Greeks are not going to win the war unless Achilles is there. So they send Odysseus and Diomedes to go find Achilles. 
when she saw them, she's like, no way, no way am I going to fight as a man ever again. And so she was trying to hide, she was trying to figure out what to do. And Athena, who really wants Achilles back in the war, and in this case is her, uh, her mother, decided to grant Achilles that one wish, that one wish so that she can get back to the war. And she gave Achilles a woman's body. This is just as epic as the Iliad, the Iliad, whatever. This is like such an epic story. Everyone in this story is way more intense than what I think of them in the other books. Like Achilles, as the title say, are angry, so, so full of rage. And she's also fiercely loyal with her cousin Patroclus and also his wife. And just that relationship was so good to read about. And Helen, oh my gosh, Helen is probably the most frightening woman that you ever meet in any of these books. She's definitely not your like hostage that just like get thrown around from like man to man. She it has her own agenda. And she, one look at Achilles, she's like, you are going to be my nemesis and I am going to destroy you. And so it was just this like really, really interesting take on all the characters. And it is definitely a testimony to the writing because I was not bored at the battle scenes. I hate reading about battle scenes, but I was actually like like enjoying them because it was just so much fun. And so many meddling gods, like they had dysfunctional families and how they're just awful, awful gods, immortals, and awful to humans. And as Achilles pointed out, oh yeah, I forgot. They think we are just ends to them. So um, if you are in for like a really interesting, a completely fresh take and a fresh retelling, check out Wrath Goddess Sing by Maya Dean. Okay, so another two rounds. We have one more round to go today. So we have one more book to tell you uh, about. And then next week, we will talk about the rest of our most anticipated reads. So I can see Corinne busy looking <laughs> at her notes. Oh, I'm putting Wrath Goddess Sings on hold. <laughs> okay, all right, there you go. <laughs> all right, what book have you got for us? Is this someone that's something that I'm going to put on hold? <laughs> no, because no, 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 no. no, we're about to go from war to love. <laughs> yes, I feel as if someone here like has to do some adult romance. And that person is me. That person is me right now. Although maybe Fiona. Fiona, I can, well, no, YA, YA. But yeah, Fiona, okay. However, uh, there is a lot of really great contemporary romance coming out in the spring and summer. Summer is the time for romance. Um, I know a lot of really great authors are coming out with their new books. So Jasmine Gilroy is coming out with a new one. Ashley Herring Blake is coming out with Delilah Green Doesn't Care. And Linda Holmes is coming out with a new one after so long, so long. But I chose to talk about an, uh, a Canadian author just to kind of make Fiona proud of me and an author who I really enjoy their books. I think they write such wonderful, heartfelt stories that are a little bit of romance, but often a little bit more. I have really enjoyed her previous books, and I think this one looks to be maybe even her best yet. She's an author that I see improving every book that she writes. So this is the third in kind of like a loose 
trilogy that has nothing to do with each other, but it is the story of Sophie Go. And Sophie is returning after the last three years in Shanghai back to her hometown of Toronto. And when she comes back, she expects that this is going to be her best year ever. She strolls into Toronto thinking, I've got it made. My chosen career, I'm going to rise to the top in Toronto. Everyone is going to be knocking at my door for my particular set of skills. Sophie Go is a professional matchmaker. Sophie Go will find the perfect partner for you by using her many skills honed at the professional matchmaking school. However, as soon as she steps foot into Toronto, several enterprising people who can use the internet figure out Sophie Goh's deep, dark secret in that she has not gone to matchmaking school. She's inexperienced. She's an amateur. She's a fraud. And as such, her job prospects become very dire very fast. Because who wants to hire someone who's never really made two people fall in love before? Can you trust that? What sort of educational background do they have? <sighs> so Sophie looks around and finds her first clients very close to home. In her apartment complex, there is a secret club called the Old Ducks. And they are seven septuagenarian Chinese bachelors who have never found love. They have spent all of their lives alone. And so Sophie convinces them to hire her to help all of them find perfect, true love. And they're happily ever after. This is Roselle Lim's third book after Natalie Tan's book of Luck and Fortune and Vanessa Yu's Magical Paris Tea Shop. This looks to be a book that examines loneliness and that maybe love or a happily ever after isn't the same for everyone as we think it is in the story. I think it is going to be really beautiful because I love all of her books and they make me happy inside. Because this is Sophie Goh's Lonely Hearts Club and I love all the little seven ducks on the cover with their little fluffy butts. Thank you, Corinne. Love, like, every time you talk about a book, there's always, like, a school to discover. There's a matchmaking school. You talk about, like, a butler school. Love an educational setting. Apparently. <laughs> oh, all right, Fiona. How educational is your next book? Mm, I guess not. I don't know. <laughs> It definitely, uh, it definitely has a social agenda. So, you know, I like that. <laughs> My next uh, book is Mecca Jamila Sullivan's debut novel. So she has published some short story collections. And it is about Malaya, who is a young woman growing up in Harlem. And I believe this is in the 90s. So I do love Harlem as a setting. Um, <laughs> I've, I feel like this book has a, a lot of aspects that I've read about in other books. You know, it looks like it's going to touch on gentrification. And Malaya is a Black girl in a, a white private school. So uh, I've enjoyed some other books that, that have that, that dynamic. But what is new and I think most urgent about this book is that it, it observes the expectations 
uh, around Black Girls and Weight. So this is Big Girl by Mecca Jamila Sullivan. So throughout this book, uh, I think it follows Malaya sort of as she's growing up. So starting out when she's eight years old into being a teenager, and it looks at the expectations from her mother and the, the the pressure that is put on to her to be thin. And I think it's really looking at this societally, um, how that can be enforced through through female family members and how that is passed down. I think that this is obviously an important topic and it is something that I like to read about, especially in YA. Um, you know, there's a lot of great books out there right now about fat girls coming into themselves, accepting themselves and loving themselves. This protagonist is a black girl, um, but she's also, she's not just fat, she's obese. And it is about her confronting what society thinks about that, but also sort of where this insatiable longing is is coming from and i think that we don't we don't get to see a lot of obese characters uh you know a lot of the time these these sort of like soft soft books about overweight teens they're they're fat teens and those are important and great but we are not always seeing this perspective that has the intersection of race and obesity because that is not as palatable that's not as easy to market so i don't think it's so much of a like feel good um you know she gets the boy kind of book i think it's really a deeper look at stigma and society and i am really looking forward to it. Uh, she is supposed to be a great new voice and Malaya herself as the character um, seems to be very likable. She she would rather uh, be in her room drawing and making art and exploring interesting ideas, but she is put down by this pressure to be perfect by her mother. Um, so a very sympathetic character that I am very much looking forward to getting to know. That is Big Girl by Mecca Jamila Sullivan, which is her debut novel. Thank you, Fiona. Love a good debut novel. Like you said, you know, like great representation. So thank you so much for telling us about that. Gabriel. So my next book is Cafe Con Lychee by Emery Lee. So Emery Lee is uh, the author of Meet Cute Diary that came out back in 2021. I haven't actually read that book, but I definitely heard about it. And it looks really cute. They're back with a, another queer young adult romance this year. So something that we've maybe talked about even in this episode. We, we, we like that. We like our, our queer young adult romances. And I'm very curious about the premise of this because basically it's an enemies to lovers story between two teen boys and it's influenced by their rival family businesses. So already very fun to me. From the description, it seems like the rivalry is more based on a sense of duty to their families and uh, less that some, one of them has done something terrible to the other which is a big plus in my book, because especially for teens, I don't know, the idea that enemies is a strong word. Enemies is a strong word, and I don't know how I would take if something really, really bad happened. I think this is more a sense of, a sense of duty, a sense of tradition, that kind of thing. And 
the rivalry that the, the two of them have is something that's kind of challenged in this book. As Theo and Gabby, our two main characters, begin to work together to actually keep the businesses from going under. So the two main characters sound really interesting, which is probably the most one of the most important parts anyway of any romance novel. Uh, Theo Mori is an Asian American teen with ADHD. He's openly queer. He's working at his parents' cafe. He can be quite intense. He has big dreams about going to a good college uh, and escaping the stillness of the like little Vermont town that this is supposed to be set in. And Gabby Moreno plans to take over his parents' Puerto Rican bakery when he graduates. And he is, I guess he provides like a very good foil to Theo just from what I was seeing of the description. Unfortunately, though, Gabby is still closeted. And while he would love nothing more than to dance, he's stuck playing soccer instead. So they both play on the school's soccer team and their rivalry kind of bleeds into this area of their life as well. So I grew up with stuff like Teen Wolf. I read the All for the Game series. Uh, I, I love friend sports segments and teen, teen media. Again, the other uh, YA romance we have also has sports in it. So I'm ready for it. And the two boys are forced to work together when another fusion cafe moves into town. And so they have to team up to sell Instagrammable food, basically, at the school uh, to promote their their family's businesses, uh, save up some money to help keep them afloat. There is also apparently a lot to do with, I can't remember if it's prom or homecoming, but it seems like it's really hitting a lot of the, the good YA teen romance tropes in the terms of you have the sports team, you've got like uh, rivals to lovers. You've got very interesting, very interesting characters. You have, for lack of a better word, the equivalent of maybe a promposal or something like that. So early reviews from when I was looking at, uh, they seem to mostly really like the book. Some have commented that it, it like bites off a lot with the different plot lines, but it's very fun and fast paced. So definitely going to be a good one for lovers of like coffee shop stories. <laughs> rival athletes and the messiness of being teenage boys in love uh so it's coming out in may and i think that it is one to put on your to be read list thank you gabriel thank you all right i am going to give some love because we just gave some love to queer romance uh ya i'm going to give some love to queer fantasy because that's what i that's my genre. Um, so this is, I have another fantasy novel. It's all fantasy this time. I don't know why. But this is a novella. So if you're not interested in like going to Doorstopper, but you want to read a fantasy, this might be a good one. And we talked about novella before. The rare time that Corinne and I actually agree on something is that we always want them to be longer. It's because we appreciate how hard it is to build a world, especially a fantasy world, in so few pages. We get it. It's, it's skillful. It takes skills to do that. Um, and it, they don't always succeed. So we just, you know, always want it to be a little longer. But this one, I think it definitely did. Not only did I feel like I know, get to know the city, I also feel like not just the current times of what the city is like, but also the history of it. So it's really quite an accomplishment to be able to build a world and make it so fully realized in so few pages. So this is another debut novel. It is called The Bruising of Cuba, and it is by Nassim Jemnia. This is the story of Firuz. They have came to Cuba as refugees fleeing persecution from their home. And the people of Cuba are not very thrilled as this influx of people coming into their city because they're different. 
they're scared that, well, are they going to be enough for me? So people are not very happy. They don't treat the refugees very well. And a lot of sort of misunderstandings, of course, a lot of discrimination happening to them, especially because people like Firuz, from where they come from, they also allegedly practice blood magic. And that is definitely something that the people of Cuba do not understand, and they are really afraid of it. Not only that, there is a plague going on, and they believe that the refugees were the ones who brought the plague over to the city. So there are a lot of different rules that are being put in in order to discriminate against them. Firuz, on the other hand, very, very lucky because they found work quite quickly as an assistant to a healer at a free clinic. Not only is this something that they are they, they are trained for, but they also find maybe the one person that is really, really sympathetic to the situation of the refugees. And despite the governor saying that, you know, we're going to put these new sanctions on, on the clinics, there's all these stupid rules about like how, okay, well, you can only every day, you can only treat this limited amount of foreigners. You have to treat all the local first, all those like weird restrictions that the government has put in. This clinic and Kofi, the healer, was like, nope, I'm not doing any of that. Even if you're going to cut my funding, I am still going to open my clinic to everybody. So Farouz feel really, really lucky and fortunate that they met Kofi. But even if Kofi is the kindest and the nicest person that they know, they still have to keep a secret from them because Farouz can do blood magic. That is something that they've been trained to do since they were young. But they can't tell anyone because they know that if people know that there are people that can do blood magic living in the city, then like they are going to kick them out. So they have to keep this a secret. But, you know, in a fantasy world, secrets don't last. They don't stay very secret for very long. So we have a few things happening. First of all, Faru one day found a girl hiding in the dumpster just behind the clinic. And when look at her, they know that she can also do blood magic. But because she has escaped from her home so young that she has not got any training from the elders yet. And so she doesn't know how to control the blood magic. She doesn't know how to, what to do with it. So Farouz decided to take her under her wing to help her, to train her. But young kids don't necessarily understand why is this important? Why do I have to hide who I am? So that becomes really dangerous if people find out what they can do. In addition, the bodies that have been coming into the clinic the dead bodies that are waiting to be cremated, the patients that are coming in, they seem to have a new type of symptoms. Farouz called them blood bruising. It seems like underneath the skin, you can see the turning color and there's like blood that is kind of like gathering there. There's something weird going on. And so when Farouz look at it, they think, you know what, this, either this plague has mutated or that there is blood magic at work. So there could be people out there practicing this on these bodies and causing these symptoms. And so Faris has to figure that out before anyone else does, because if they don't and if the word gets out, then the refugees is going to be blamed for all of this. This is a really, really well-developed fantasy world. It definitely centers queerness in this story, um, not only 
is our main character, a non-binary character. We have lots of different characters with different identities and different orientations in the book that are being featured. It is a bit of a, a medical mystery and the author is a neuroscientist. So when they describe, you know, all the the medical stuff, it sounds very real because I think they probably know what they're talking about. Um, so it's a little bit of that. So it's definitely a fantasy, but also a little bit of a mystery. Really, really quick read. Great novella. And like I said, you will get to know Kuwa really, really well. So this is The Bruising of Kuwa and it is by Nassim Jamina. Okay, so that is our four, uh, free, free, free picks. I can't count. 12 books. I hope you've got all those on hold um, because they all sound amazing. We will see you next week again and we'll talk about the rest of our picks. So have a good week and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm-hmm.